just good to obey the Holy Ghost, isn't it? Turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I just want to be sensitive to what the Spirit of God wants to say to us this morning. And uh, in light of um, what God revealed to us at the prayer meeting and just how that went, dealing with our personal prayer lives, uh, I believe the Holy Ghost wants to speak to that situation in our lives this morning. And uh, I believe the Holy Ghost wants to build our faith, to encourage us, to convict us, and to challenge us in a fresh and new way to seek God personally. The Bible says in Romans 10 and 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so this morning as you hear what the Bible has to say about prayer, and about God's desire that each and every one of us have an intimate relationship with Him. What Jesus has to say to us concerning our prayer lives, then I believe it's going to build faith in each and every one of us. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. A lack of prayer, a lack of personal prayer in any given man or woman's life is a reflection of the lack of faith. It may be a reflection of a lack of salvation. But if the individual's born again, if the individual's regenerated, if that person has truly repented of their sins, amen, then uh, it's particularly a young Christian or a person that's seeking to be matured in Jesus Christ. It speaks of a lack of faith. Therefore, we need faith. And by believing that God is, we're going to draw nigh to Him. By knowing who He is and His design for our life, it's going to cause us to draw, to draw nigh unto Him, to seek His face and to seek His will. A mark of a spiritual ministry, and you've heard me say this before, is that it produces men and women that have a hunger, that have a thirst to know Jesus Christ. And that do passionately know Him and that are intimate with Him. But it's common to see men and women who will struggle against this, you know, establishing a prayer life. That's a common thing. And people become especially discouraged in this area of their life. So this morning as we study what Jesus had to say about praying, I believe we're going to be encouraged. The enemy will fight you in your prayer life like no other area of your spiritual walk with God. With more intensity than any other area of your walk with God will the enemy fight you. R. Sib said this, when we go to God by prayer, the devil knows we go to fetch strength against him, and therefore he opposeth us all that he can. Sally Chisholm said this in relating a story about Samuel Logan Bringle, the great uh, Christian. It was, he was once asked, what is, what is your most feared temptations? The most subtle, the most violent. And he answered, it is the temptation to start my day for God before spending time in prayer and the Word of God. Before giving this answer, however, he held them in a bit of suspense by saying, For thirty years I have only had one temptation, 
that has given me any serious concern. But for 30 years, by God's grace, this one has been conquered. So no other has been able to penetrate my armor. But prior to 30 years ago, I used to frequently fall before this one temptation. And every time I fell before this one, I became instantly vulnerable to 10,000 others. Amen. If you don't have a prayer life, you are open to temptation. And if Satan can defeat you here in this area of establishing that personal walk with God, then he can basically neutralize you. You will be ineffective against the kingdom of darkness, and eventually he will bring in destruction. Listen to what Leonard Ravenhill said. Satan would have us increase even in Bible knowledge, I believe, as long as we keep from prayer, which is the exercise of the instruction we have received through the Word. What use is deeper knowledge if we have shallower hearts? What use is greater standing with men if we have less standing with God? What use is personal physical hygiene if we have filthiness of the mind and of the spirit? What use is religious piety if we have soul carnality? Why strut with physical strength if we have spiritual weakness? Of what use is worldly wealth if we have spiritual poverty? Who can take comfort in social popularity if he is unknown in hell? Prayer takes care of all these spiritual maladjustments. See, for you and I to truly mature in Jesus Christ, for us to endure into the end. For us to be useful in the kingdom of God. It is imperative. It is essential that we overcome in this area. We must know Jesus Christ. We must have a walk with Him. We must daily seek His face. If we don't have a prayer life, there's something deeply amiss in our heart. Again, Brother Ravenhill said, no man is greater than his prayer life. And that is a truth. It's something we must face. It's something that we must uh, surrender and submit ourselves to. To know that no matter what our talents and what our abilities, what it may seem like in the natural, all might seem well this morning. But if we don't have a prayer life, something's wrong. We may be able to fool men, but we cannot fool God. You and I must know Him. And you know, just in the little time that I've pastored, I've seen that, you know, even men and women like ourselves, we come to a place like this, we come together, we come to hear the truth of God's Word. But we find out many times that we're leaning on the same excuses, the same kind of faulty theology that has produced a church world that turns our stomach and we confess it so. Because we have all kind of excuses for our own weaknesses. We've got all kind of excuses, all kind of things that we'll, you know, fall back onto that we've heard all our Christian life or read, you know, in some, you know, uh, heretical, erroneous book somewhere. You know that, well, you know, I really can't rise to that, you know, standard or, well, God looks at it this way or that. No, we need to go to the Word of God. We need to face it. We are not spiritual if we do not pray. We are not spiritual if we do not pray we are not spiritual if we do not pray we can preach on the street till our tongue drags the ground
spiritual if we do not pray. We're not spiritual. We need to just admit it. It's not so. We have no spirituality. And we are walking in the flesh. And we minister in flesh one to another. Amen. And flesh brings death. We have to know that. We have to just be honest with ourselves about it. If you don't face that, if I don't face it, if I don't come, listen to me. I've been a man that's had grace in my prayer life. I've been a man that would deny, you know, fellowship with other human beings who desired, amen, absolutely no burden to pray. And then there's been times when every day to pray has been just simply an act of my will. But I can tell you this one thing, that right there, I know it's so. I've had to embrace that. I've had to submit to that and know that if I'm not praying, I'm not spiritual. I can't make an excuse I have to look at it and face it. And that will bring me back every time to the person of Jesus. But if I make excuses, if I think I can just get by, let me tell you something, ain't nobody going to just get by. Do you know that? Nobody is just going to get by. Nobody's just going to wake up one day in heaven and say, I made it. Hallelujah, give me a high five, Jesus. Nobody's going to be like that. You got the kingdom of God within you now. Or you don't. You hear me? And if you don't have it in you now, you're not going to go to heaven. If you can't enjoy heaven on earth, you're not going to enjoy it there. If you don't love Jesus here, you're not going to love him there. If you can't be captivated by Jesus Christ now, hear me, church. Do you hear me? If you are not captivated by Jesus Christ, his person now, how do you suppose when you get to heaven, you're going to enjoy him? There's no sanctifying power in death. Amen. Do you understand who you are? Is going, leaving this body and going to stand before God. And if you can't stand him right now, if you can't, you know, discipline yourself to spend 15, 20 minutes, an hour a day with Jesus now, are you supposing that when you come before him, you're not going to ask for the same entertainments that you are captivated here with? They're not going to be there in heaven. Not going to be there. Won't be those things that we love, that we meditate upon in heaven. It's only going to be him. That's all. So we must look at that and recognize it. We've got to overcome. But I can tell you, be encouraged this morning because you can. You can overcome in this area. You can overcome in this area. Never been a man or a woman that's ever established a prayer life that didn't have to fight for it. Do you hear me? That didn't have to hunger and thirst for it. That didn't have to draw nigh to God. And then God draw nine to them. Never been that. And if you read books about some of the greatest men and women that ever named the name of Jesus, that had established a life of prayer, every single one of them will testify of, of the war and the struggle that they had in establishing that prayer life. But once it was established, it snowballed. Once you get into that place, you know it's there. You know it's there. And if you even, you know, fall away from it to a place, you know all you have to do is go there because it's there for you. And God waits for you each and every day to have fellowship with him.
Let's read here in Luke 11. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, this is Jesus, he ceased. And one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And so go unto him at midnight, and send him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give for a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him? Hallelujah. We're going to talk about the basics and the fundamentals of establishing a prayer life this morning. Just the basics, the fundamentals of establishing a prayer life. You know, many times you assume things. You assume that people know certain things. But that's the wrong way to approach things. Always minister. Amen. Not assuming that people know a thing. So this morning we want to look at the very basics and the very fundamentals of establishing a prayer life. First thing I want you to notice about verse 1 here is that Jesus Christ, God manifested in the flesh, was a man of prayer. This is God Himself manifested in the flesh. He was a man who lived a lifestyle of prayer. It was his manner. It was his custom to spend long, protracted times before God the Father in prayer. It was his way of life. In Matthew 14 and 23, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. 
Let me tell you something. You need to have times alone with God. You need to have times alone with God. Separate and distinct and apart from the corporate prayer that we have here. This is God manifested in the flesh. He was without God, without sin. Yet He found it necessary to spend time set apart from the multitudes alone with God. You will find this. If men and women do not want to be alone, amen, they don't want to be dealt with by God. Amen. If I'm always with Brother Jason, if I'm always with my wife, if I'm always with my children, if I'm always with Brother Donald, if I'm seeking to be busy, if I'm seeking to be occupied, it's because I'm running from something. You've got to get alone with God so that He can speak with you. Prayer is a two-way street. It's me talking to God and God talking to me. i got to be alone. Let things settle down. Get things quiet. So the Spirit of God can speak to me. If you don't have the Word of the Lord speaking to you in your inner heart, in your inner man, you're going to die. Do you understand that? We hear from God. We hear from God right now. But there ha- everything in this church life is established to drive you and to motivate you, to build you up, to give you faith, to know Jesus. That's what maturity is. I've got four little boys here and a little girl on the way, I believe. Amen. You know, as I raise these children, they mature. What am I doing? I'm maturing them that they can stand on their own. Do you understand that? That they can go out and they can be led by the Holy Ghost. It's the same in the church. Amen. We come together to be edified, to be strengthened, that the Word of the Lord, you're always going to need the church. You're always going to need to be discipled and to be under authority. But everything in the ministry, the edification, the faith, the, 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 the preaching of the Word is to drive you to Jesus Christ, to build you up, to strengthen you that you can have an ear for the voice of God. That's a mark of a mature Christian. They can know the difference between good and evil. They can discern. Amen. That they know the voice of God. That's what this is all for. You're going to have to get alone. You need to get alone with God. You need to get alone with God. You need to sit alone with God that He can deal with you, that He can put His finger on things in your life. Amen. That He can deal with you in your inner man and show you who you are and show you and reveal to you who He is. Mark 6 and 46, And when He had sent them away, He departed in a mountain to pray. Luke 6 and 12, and I can read a lot of other scriptures, and I believe I don't have to convince anybody here. That Jesus was a man of prayer. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. And continued all night in prayer to God. It started right here with Jesus. I want you to know something. It takes someone living a life of prayer. It's needful that somebody live a life of prayer to provoke others to pray. 
It's needful that somebody seek God with all their heart. And it will be known of a man or woman. If they pray, you'll know it of them. If a man or woman doesn't pray, it will be known of them that they don't pray. It's not something we can mimic or imitate. Amen. You cannot mimic or imitate the presence of God, the brokenness of the Holy Ghost. It cannot be done. You'll make a fool of yourself if you try to mimic spirituality. can't be done. You might fool the carnal, but you can't fool the spiritual because it'll recognize it every time. No need in doing that. But someone's got to pray to provoke others to pray. And someone who is praying, amen, find here that Jesus was praying. But when he ceased, he found himself encouraging somebody else to pray. A man or woman who prays, amen, they're either going to be praying or they're going to find themselves encouraging and strengthening others to pray. Let me tell you something. You look at the response of Jesus Christ, who was a man who spent hours and hours in prayer. And here came one of his disciples who said, Lord, teach me or teach us to pray. We need to know that. Did he come with a condescending, holier-than-thou attitude? Absolutely not. He came down to their level. The very basics and fundamentals of prayer and began to teach them and encourage them to pray. And that's the way that a man or woman that truly spends time with God is going to approach anyone that has a spirit of humility that desires to seek God. And although he was God manifested in the flesh, he felt that constant need to commune with God the Father. How much more us? Is that not a truth? How much more you and I Again, I quote the scripture, 1 John 2 and 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. He is our example. I cannot survive on yesterday's prayer. Doesn't matter what I did yesterday. What matters is today. Doesn't matter that I was a man of prayer one time or a woman of prayer one time. What matters is today. Am I seeking God today? If I'm going to abide in Jesus Christ, I need to walk even as he walked. First and foremost, we see that Jesus was a man of prayer, even though he was God, manifested in the flesh. Right here in the latter part of verse 1, it says, And his disciples said unto him, And one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. I want you to notice that the man came to him and asked that the group that he is associated, Amen, would you teach my group? Amen, would you teach these folks that I'm hanging out with? Not just me. I'm not coming just to learn. I want everyone to be able to pray. I want all these that I'm associated with and yoked with to be men of prayer because I'm walking with them daily. I want to be, you know, yoked with spiritual men and women. That ought to be our heart. I don't just want to be a man of prayer. I want this church to be a house of prayer. Amen. Because you are going to affect me. And you're going to affect my children. I want you to know God. Amen. I want you to have an intimate and passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. This disciple displayed a hunger for a deeper, a deeper spiritual prayer life. He, he exhibited humility. And humility will always ask for assistance. He's not trying to play games here. 
He's not trying to, you know, put up a front. I need help in my prayer life. I need help, Lord. Would you teach me to pray? And this man, he's referred to as a disciple. And I believe this group, if you look in Luke 10, you see the 70. But we know at least the 12 were there. Those 12 were there. And we can know from Gethsemane, amen, that these men, none of them, had a consistent prayer life. Not one of them. We know that from Gethsemane. I can tell you this. If those men couldn't keep an hour of prayer in a group prayer meeting, you know they're having trouble praying alone. You can always tell an individual that's got victory in their prayer life. Amen. And, and if a man or woman can't come with the church in the fellowship of the believers and pray for one hour, you can rest assured that individual cannot pray alone. You get somebody up in here with all of us, and they staring at the wall. That person, hey, they can't pray. They ain't praying. If you can't pray to God, listen to me, you may not have victory in your prayer life. A man may come in here, amen, and be hit and miss. Amen. But I can tell you what, he, he might be able to pray for an hour with a believer. Someone that's, you know, hit and miss, kind of. But you take that individual that has no prayer life. If they can't pray, amen, one hour with the believers. If you find an individual like that, you can rest assured that that person has no victory in their prayer life. Just because somebody prays for an hour doesn't mean necessarily they do have the total victory. But if someone can't, I can guarantee you this, they got no victory. They can't pray if they can't come together. Those disciples couldn't pray one hour with Jesus. Not one hour. Amen. But this man was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. And he came in humility and asked. He demonstrated two qualities when he made his request. Number one, a desire to be a man of prayer. He had a desire. I never thought to ask you this. But I ask you this this morning. Do you have a desire? To be a man or woman of prayer. Do you have that hunger? Because if you don't, something's wrong with you. Don't be deceived and suppose that you don't have to pray. Don't be deceived and suppose that you can live at a certain level of Christianity. I found my place where I'm going to set up camp. This is where I'm going to stay. You're going to die. You hear me? You'll die. I never thought to ask you that because you assume certain things. But after examining things and after looking, I wonder sometimes if some people just suppose I'm going this far and no further shall I go. I don't have to do that. That's you. That's your opinion. No, it's not. It's right here in Scripture. How can you say you're a Christian and not know God? See, these are things you have to face. I have to face that. I'm sitting up here preaching it, but I have to face it. It's something that I have to look at. Amen. If it's not so in my life, to make excuses or to say, well, it's just not that way for me. It's that way for Brother Charlie or it's that way for Brother Jason. But it's not that way for me because certainly God understands. Let me tell you something. God does not understand you cutting off fellowship from Him. God does not understand you saying, I do not have to spend time with you. Will you not read? the word of God he's a jealous God he 
wants time with you. He wants to know you. The creator of the universe calls and beckons to you. He wants fellowship with you. Will you deny Him? Will you deny Him and say that there will be no repercussions? Don't be deceived. There is no such Christianity. It's one thing to, to, to struggle. It's one thing to say, well, I desire that. I want that. I need that. But I'm having, I'm having difficulty. I, but it's another thing altogether just to settle in. I can make it without it. You're already deceived. You're already, back, you're already backslid. If you have that attitude of heart. This man, he displayed a hunger. A desire to be a man of prayer. There's also a recognition that he's fallen short of what God desired of him. See, there's that living epistle. There's the word of God shining forth. This is, now, he's not standing back and saying, well, that's Jesus, and I can't do what Jesus has done. That's that charismatic excuse. That's that, you know, flaky theology that people will lean on. Well, that's Jesus, and no one could... You know, expect us to pray like Jesus. Well, that's not the Bible. The Bible says, ought to walk. Yeah, if I say that about him, I ought to walk even as he walked. You say in Brother Brett that if I'm not praying all night, if I'm not spending five, six hours, seven hours, whatever it is. No, if you're not obeying God, but if you're obeying God, you're going to be spending time with God. The only time frame I've ever seen in Scripture is when Jesus said, could you not tarry with me one hour? And then you've heard me say, I'm not, I'll tell people when they first begin to establish their prayer life, if it's just 15, start somewhere. Don't be condemned. I don't want you to be condemned. That's when people become discouraged and they choke on this. And over that, they just totally, you know, throw their hands up and give, I'm not wanting to, I don't, the Spirit of God doesn't want to produce that in you today. But the first thing we're going to have to deal with in this house is to see if you do have a heart. Because if you're saying I don't, and I don't have to do that, then you are deceived. You're deceived. He's not looking at Jesus. Well, that's Jesus, and my prayer habit's not going to be like his. And I, I'm not. Surely God doesn't require that of me. No, you need to obey God. You need to be led of the Spirit. But he's going to produce in you. Oh, don't come and say, well, I pray every one, you know, five minutes as I'm going to sleep at night and suppose that you obey in God. And I don't think there's a person in here that would confess that. There needs to be something established, a relationship. And if you're not praying, I know that. I know that whole mentality of not knowing God, but believing that you know God. You, you know, not knowing Jesus. But, yeah, I know Jesus. But not really knowing him like you're supposed to know him when you're intimate with him and you talking with him. Are you having a conversation with Jesus? Are you having a conversation with Jesus? That's knowing God, being intimate, sharing, searching his heart, and he's searching yours. But none of these disciples, I believe up to this point, had established a consistent prayer life. But I I believe this. I believe this, with the exception of Judas, every one of them did. We have proof. We have, you know, we have evidence to believe such. These men went on. 
Just the fact that they continued with God. That they were apostles and established churches. And many of them, most of them, with the exception of John, amen, were martyred for the gospel's sake. And they would have martyred John, as tradition has it, would have martyred him. But God protected him. And they were imprisoned and hated. I don't believe that those men would have continued on with God. I don't believe that they would have produced the fruit that they did. Had they not established a consistent prayer life. So you see, these individuals came. This is the first point of overcoming, admitting that you need help. Having a desire and a hunger to be a man or woman of prayer. And going to Jesus Christ and confessing that and asking for help. Every one of us need to do that. You'll find that a man or woman that prays constantly. In the times that I've had great spiritual victory in prayer. Is the times when I've asked God the most. Lord don't remove your hand of grace from me. When I first begin to pray. Uh, first establish a prayer life. And several years into that. I, I, had, I, I broke through. I don't know how, how to explain that. Or how to, how to really teach that. But when I first, you know, eight months after I was eight months after I was born again, God began to deal with me, and I went through the struggles of trying to. I went in my closet. I didn't know no better. Went and got in my closet, tried to pray, pray five minutes. Seemed like I've been in there five hours. Amen. When the phone ring and everything's happening, every time I try to pray, it just seemed like there's a conspiracy against it. And that's when I began to, you know, I try to kneel down on the couch and just couldn't concentrate. It just seemed impossible. And that, you know, God also dealing and touching different things in my life. Get that TV, yank that cord out of the wall and throw that thing away and deal with this and deal with that. And he just, you know, taking a hatchet to me and narrowing things down. And there, it's just me and God and finally says now you get out here and take it on that sidewalk and walk across that LSU campus at night and I'd go out there and you know 30 minutes and I just struggled finally there came a time when I broke through and to pray was the greatest thing in all the world of me to pray to spend time with God was the most blessed thing in all the world in several years I went through that I got haughty in that got proud in it Amen. God had to show me it wasn't me. But I got to a, t- a place where I could spend, and I'm not saying this to, to, to puff up. It was only God because I can tell you right now, God had to humble me. Because I'd look at other people that I, I knew they wasn't praying. And I thought, well, there's something, something wrong here. I thought if they wouldn't pray in three and four, five, six hours a day, something was amiss with them. Something totally wrong with them. And that's not what the Spirit of God is saying to us this morning. I'm saying a consistent prayer life with the Holy Ghost is asking of you. And I had to, uh, you know, God had to test me in that and, and, and prove me and try me and show me that it was His grace. But I can remember during that time, Bridget and I got married and I'm ministering to her along the lines of prayer. And I remember, you know, during that time, I don't remember exactly if it was before or after, a woman came to her and told her, because she's, of course, getting, you know, convicted and dealt with and, you know, trying to establish a prayer life on her own. And, and the things that I was telling her, you know, she uh, went to another woman and that woman told her, said, look, uh, Bridget, all you need to do is just pray a little bit while you wash the dishes. Just, you know, as you wash the dishes every day and as you do it, your housework, you know, you pray a little bit and that's, that's sufficient. Let me tell you something. That's a lie. 
That's a lie. That's not the truth. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And I believe that it's good to pray while you're washing. It's good to pray while you're vacuuming. It's good to pray throughout the day and put on, you know, a preaching tape or a Bible tape or, you know, a, a music tape and worship. God's a good thing. Not telling you not to do that. But there's a special place, a special time that you need to get along with God and spend time with Him along where it's just you and Him. God requires that. It's necessary that you do it. You have to do it. You must overcome if you're going to do the will of God. If you're going to do the will of God. Because prayer is the pulse of spiritual life. Don't you ever forget that. You want to know how spiritual a man is? Take his pulse. God knows those whom are his. God knows God knows how much a man or woman is spending time with him. How much is, he, an individual's heart is after the person of Jesus Christ. Right here, though, in verse 2, Jesus taught them what to say when they pray. Now, this is a worthy question, I believe. And I've had people ask me this a lot of times. And this is the first time I've really, you know, just thought of it. Are seated in scripture. But many, what do I say? I don't know what to say. If you've had that question before then. Jesus is going to answer you directly. Right out of scripture. What do I say? And he's not given a formula. He's not given a formula for you. You know like the Catholic church. You know. Our father with charge. Now he's not talking about just reciting this prayer. He's talking about. You want to know some things. That you can pray about. You want to know from God. What God says he wants to hear. From you right here. Jesus gives you th- some things. To say when you pray. And I've heard people with all. Those that see the excuses. You're going to have to put them away. You're going to have to put them away. Oh. I can't pray for more than 15 minutes. I don't know what to say. If you just do, you know, just with an open heart, begin to do and institute and incorporate these things right here that Jesus said in your prayer life, you're not going to have enough time to pray. You just do this. If you just out of a pure heart, just do the things that Jesus said to do right here. First thing he said, he taught them to begin with praise. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How are you to begin? By praising God. By lifting up and exalting the name of God. This is a biblical principle. Psalms 95 and 2 says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Psalm 104 Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Again, we're not talking about a formula. You want to know how to pray, you pray. Prayer breeds prayer. You want to learn to pray, pray. And God will teach you the the uniqueness and your individual call and all the things that, you know, revolve around who you are as an individual. Amen. It's going to be, you know, held captive by the Word of God. You know, the way that you pray. But there's going to be a lot of leeway in that. If you really want to know how to pray, begin to pray, and God will teach you to pray. Uh, But there's not a formula here, but there is, you know, a structure that we can go by. If Jesus said to do it, then I believe we'll be blessed in our deed if we do it. And I've found that the Holy Ghost has always led me to do that. Just to, you know, we do it here in the prayer meeting. Bless God. Lift up his name. Exalt him. And 
And praise and thanksgiving, I'm not asking nothing of God. I'm giving. And praise and thanksgiving, I'm not asking anything. I'm coming to giving of myself. I'm, I'm exalting and magnifying the person of Jesus Christ. Prayer should always be coupled with a heart overflowing with that thanksgiving. Philippians 4 and 6 says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. And Hebrews 13 and 15 says, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We ought to always go before God. You get thanking for the, the, the smallest of things. Amen. The year, you know, if you meditate on what you have instead of what you don't have. If you meditate on how blessed you are, that you're not insane, that, you, that you've that you got, you know, health in your body, that you're born again, that you have truth, that God had mercy on you, that, you know, your children are healthy. I mean, it, the, the list goes on and on and on. And you listen to me, that no more excuses, no no more excuses. Don't come to God with an excuse again. You think that you have an hour worth of things to thank God for? Is there anybody in here that will boldly stand up and say, I don't have a list long enough to thank God for one hour? There ain't no one of you in here got that much boldness. It would be a lie. You'd be deceived. It's not that you can't. See, we just have to be real. It's because we won't. That's all. First thing we have to do is be real. We're going to have the victory. And this first point right here. I mean, 15 minutes, just thank Him. Thank Him for everything that you do have. Thank Him for all the spiritual blessings. We sing that song in Psalms. James, bless the Lord. Oh, my, all His benefits. We can come before Him and bless Him. That he's forgiven us. That he's healed all our diseases. That he went to the cross. That even though we were enemies. That he loved us. Shed his blood for us. How important is this principle of praise and worship and preceding prayer? How important that is? Well, the blind man said in John 31 and testifying to the Pharisees. He says, now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if a man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. I think it's an important principle. And what name? It says, hallowed be thy name. What name should we exalt? We need to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 9-11 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we should pray in the name of Jesus. John 16, 23 through 24. And in that day, this is what Jesus said. Ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. We need to come and exalt the name that is above every name. And we need to come praying in that name. And we come in the person of Jesus Christ. We are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. More, I can take a drunkard out here and have him come and recite a prayer. And say, God's not going to answer that. There's more to it than that. If I'm coming in the name of Jesus, I'm coming in his seat as person. I am a partaker of the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. But I believe we need to pray in that name.
He taught them to pray for the will of God, the second thing. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, Thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. You'll notice the will of God compares that, the way the will of God is done in heaven. How many know the perfect will of God is done in heaven? And I don't believe in a permissible will, but we have to, you know, acknowledge reality. If a man or woman's born again and they get out of the will of God, God can use that. There can be a chastening. There can be a disciplining. And God can bring that individual back into the will of God. And, and, and what, you know, took place, it can be used. You know, God can take that. But how many of you in here want to get out of the will of God? Not one of us. I, I believe that. I want to be in the perfect will of God. I want the will of God to be done in me. Amen. Earth, I'm made of the dust of the earth. I want the will of God to be done in me as it's done in heaven we need to pray that but we can't come to God with our personal agenda we can't come to God with our personal agenda our will I can't conjure up something in my mind and offer it up to God to bless he's not going to bless it the will of God's already blessed the will of God's already but I don't have to get a blessing or stamp of approval on it the will of God's already blessed you conjure something up in your mind and try to offer it up to God no wonder you don't sense the presence of God no wonder that you know you know, the prayer's not working no wonder oh God never hears me he's not going to answer you according to your own you know you know your own will and what you conjure up in your mind he's only going to bless his will his son's blessed and listen to me you you know a lot of people just suppose they're going to, you know, you're not just going to stumble on the will of God. They're just going to get lucky one day and just, I'm in the will of God. Hallelujah. It, it doesn't work like that. These are the kind of things that we have to be ruthless with. That's the kind of thinking that is in the church world today that, well, if I don't pray, surely I can be in the will of God. If you're not praying, you're out of the will of God. It'll only be the mercy of God that you'd be anywhere close to the will of God. You're going to go time and time again find yourself self ensnared and trapped by the enemy if you're not seeking God. You're going to end up being damned because Jesus said, Not all that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter in, but only them that do the will of my Father which is in heaven. You're not just going to stumble on the will of God. You're going to have to pray that God keep you in His will, that He show you his will, that he give you a heart to know the will of God. These are things that are profitable to pray. First John 3 and 22 says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. What's pleasing in his sight? His will for you and I. His will for you and I. First John 5, 14 through 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know that he hears us. Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. That's how I know that I'm going to have what I ask. I mean, I can know that without a doubt. I, there can be no wavering in that. I know that if I pray that God make me holy, amen, and that's the desire of my heart, and I'm willing to do that, willing to be dealt with, then I'm going to be made holy, for he said, be ye holy. I know that I'm going to have it. God's going to deal with it. It's going to happen because it's the will of God. 
And concerning and regarding the will of God, you and I ought to pray in the Holy Ghost. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 1 Corinthians 14 and 4 says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. That means he builds himself up. He strengthens himself. You ought to pray in the Holy Ghost. The book of Jude says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Well, Brother Britt has prayed in the Holy Ghost, simply meaning praying in tongues. I believe that's the perfect way, the most excellent way to pray in the Spirit. I'm not saying that if I'm praying in English and being led of the Spirit, I'm praying in the Spirit. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, it says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Amen. If I'm speaking by the Spirit of God, praying with my spirit, not unto man, but unto God. Amen. Then I'm praying the will of God. First Corinthians 14 and 14 says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. My spirit's praying. Mingled with the Holy Ghost as I'm baptized in the Spirit of God. Then I'm praying the will of God. I'm bypassing my understanding. Any, I'm the Spirit of God is searching out the will of God. And as the Spirit gives utterance, how am I praying? How am I speaking in tongues? The Spirit gives me utterance in my spirit. I'm praying the perfect will of God. That's why you say, well, I don't know what to pray. Pray in tongues. Ain't a person in here say they can't pray in tongues. If you're baptized in the Holy Ghost and say, pray in the Holy Ghost and you'll pray the will of God. And this is the reason why so many unanswered prayers, why there's so many unanswered prayers in people's lives because they're not praying according to the will of God. Not praying according to the will of God. James 4 and 3 says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Let me tell you something. God is not going to be manipulated like a man. God's not going to be manipulated like a man. You want to go to hell, he's going to let you go. You know, when I was a little boy, I hated wearing coats. I hated it. I just didn't like it. I was rebellious. My mother tried to get me. My dad told me to wear a coat and put one on. But my mom told me to put one on. I'd argue with her. And uh, one of my best friends had a little birthday party for, for himself. And uh, his parents gave him one uh, birthday party. And we were going to go, but I didn't want to wear my coat. And it's probably like weather like it was. Uh, out there today and uh, so I argued with my mother I was 8, 9, 10 years old my mother didn't know she should have dealt with me but I, you know, I just refused to wear one so she, this is what she did she said, okay, well I'm going to leave and just leave you here I said, fine amen, I was a manipulator I was going to manipulate her so she took off in her car, you know what she's thinking she's going to go around the block and scare me and come back and I'd be ready to go you know what I did? I went next door and told my, told my neighbor that my, my mother left me at home and uh, that she needed, told me to tell her to bring me to the birthday party. So I had my neighbor bring me all the way across town to the birthday party. My mom didn't know where I went. Came and found. I got in a lot of trouble for that. See, you're not going to manipulate God when he don't give you what you want. You're not going to, you know, stand afar back 
and say, well, I can't, you know, God didn't give me what I want, or I'm not hearing from God, or, you know, and accuse God and, and say, well, I didn't, you know, get the right thing from God. And I pray this and I pray that, so, you know, I'm just going to draw back and, you know, try to make Jesus follow you. Jesus is not going to follow you. Jesus, if you want to go to hell, then go on then. He's not going to stop you. You find people all the time trying to manipulate God like they manipulate man. As if God's going to stop the whole universe for them. Just plop down and whine and have a pity party. And suppose that God is going to cause the whole kingdom of God to revolve around you. It's not going to happen. You're not going to manipulate God like that. You're going to have to pray the will of God. You're going to have to surrender yourself to what the will of God is in your life. You take that Bible out and say, what does it say to me? I do not have an option. This thing is not a multiple choice. I can't just open it up and say, well, I can take this and I can throw this away. That's that charismatic devil that professes to love God but hates him. You and I, we're not going to do that here. We need to cast that spirit out of this place. This is not a multiple choice test. It is do or die, black or white, hot or cold, heaven or hell. There is no in-between. The reason that many of you got so much problems is because you will not submit to the will of God in your life. That's the problem. Will you believe what the Spirit of Almighty God is telling you this morning? Submit. To what the Holy Ghost says to you. Do what the Bible says. Be excited about doing what God says that He wants you to do. Pray about it and then you'll hear from heaven when you pray the will of God. You know, if I went out here and tried to start my own business, nothing wrong with starting a business, but it ain't the will of God for me. I'm called to pastor this church. But if I went out here and said, well... This is how it happens. Something goes on in my heart where I don't want to do this no more. But I don't want to just go back out in the world and face that I'm lost. I'd rather be deceived. So I conjure up a theology that'll fit my lifestyle. And I suppose that I can go out here and be a businessman when God called me to be a pastor. Oh, Brother Brad, do you believe that you would be lost? I'd go to hell if I don't do the will of God. You hear me? You don't do the will of God. You are going to go to hell. That's not the will of God that you do go to hell. But don't suppose you're just going to boldly reject the will of God and make it to heaven. You're a rebel. You're a rebel. There ain't no rebel going in. But you know, if I went out here and said, well, I'll make a living. I'll do this and that. And, you know, sow all my talents and abilities into to being a businessman. And naturally, I'm going to find some preacher that's going to tickle my ear and give me what I want to hear. And so he's going to tell me, oh, pray that God bless your business. And I can pray until I turn blue. And God is not going to answer that prayer because it's not the will of God for Britt Williams to be a businessman. It's the will of God for Britt Williams to be a preacher. You think I'm going to be frustrated? I'm going to be some kind of frustrated. You think I'm going to have the blessing and presence of God in my life? I will not because I'm not doing the will of God. You find people, they never hear from heaven. Nothing ever happens because they're not praying the will of God. The third thing, he taught them to pray for their daily provision. Give us day by day our daily bread. Notice he said day by day, a daily provision. Funny people praying for a million dollars. 
If I got a million dollars, I don't need day by day. I'm talking about in the natural. And this is talking about more than the natural. There's natural and spiritual provision. But he said day by day. Proverbs 30, 8 through 9 says, Remove me. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Amen. Lord, keep me. Give me daily provision. All I want is what you want me to have. Every day, Lord, harness me. You want the Holy Ghost? Pray for it every day. Fill me afresh today. Equip me, harness me. Lord, you know what I'm going to face today. Lord, give me provision for what I'll face. You know, you know the, the trials and the testings, the opportunities that I'll have to glorify you, the opportunities I'll have to bring reproach against the cross. Prepare me, ready me, equip me, Lord God, for today, for this day. You've got plenty of things to pray for. Right here, pray for day-to-day provision. That manna was a daily provision. If any man tried to keep that thing overnight, it bred worms. It was a daily thing. And again, that's spiritual and natural. Amen. I've got to get a fresh touch from God every day. I've got to spend time with God every day. If I don't, what I had yesterday is going to breed worms. Amen. It's going to have a stench to it. It's not going to, it's a daily thing. And right there, you have proof that God wants that daily time set aside for Him. It shows that we're dependent upon God when we put our needs before Him. And He likes that. When we depend upon Him and say, Lord, I need this in my... I'm telling you anything. I believe in the natural and the spiritual. I believe there's nothing that you ought to hold back from sharing with God. Nothing. I think you ought to... Anything that you have need of, you ought to put it before God. And you always ought to qualify if you're unsure of the motive and the intent of your heart. Say, Lord, I don't know. If my, if my motive or my intent, the intent of my heart is wrong, then I don't. I just want your will. But this right here is something that I, I feel I have need of. And, and this right here, Lord, is something I feel I have need of. That shows that I'm dependent upon Him as my Father. He taught them to pray for forgiveness and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. If I have sinned, it's imperative that I repent, confess, forsake, and communicate this to God. Proverbs 28 and 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. 1 John 9 through chapter 2 verse 1 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, these things write unto you, that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen. If I sin, I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to confess. I need to repent. And God will cleanse me through the precious blood of the Lamb. But I also believe that every time, this is something that the Spirit of God has lived. And when I spend time with God, I know that He is infinitely holy. I've never felt on equal with God. The more I spend time with Him, the more I'm asking Him. Just 
asking him to forgive me even for falling short of his glory. I'm constantly, I know he remembers my transgression no more, but I'm also thankful to him for the times that I could have been cut off, the times I could have been, many times when I'm praying. There's a particular time in my life, I can't tell you how often I thank God for not allowing me to be turned over during that time. I was damned. I was lost. If I'd have died, I'd have went to hell, but God didn't allow me to get totally, you know, deceived, but He kept me and brought me to repentance. And I thank Him for that and ask Him constantly. I'm not condemned in that. I I know I'm forgiven, but I'm just thankful that God forgave me for that. Washed me clean. And I believe the Holy Ghost will do that in your life if you're led of the Spirit. And again, that song that we sing, Bless the Lord, it says, Who forgiveth all mine iniquities. Amen. That's something we'll constantly thank Him for. Being thanksgiving for. He taught them to forgive before they prayed. Notice he said, for. Forgive us, Lord, for. We also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And you and I as Christians, amen. If I have unforgiveness in my heart, I need to be dealing with that before I ever go before God. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, Go thy way, thy, go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come offer thy gift. That's talking about somebody having unforgiveness against you. How much more have you got unforgiveness against them? Make the thing right. Amen. Forgive. Let them go. Amen. And you will be forgiven. If you ever read that parable about that man that was forgiven the debt that he couldn't pay. He went to the king and begged of mercy. Jesus spoke of that. You can read it in the Gospels. And he, there was a debt, I, I forgot how much it equaled, you know, in modern money and in dollars. But it was, I believe, millions of dollars, if I'm not mistaken. Amen. And he was forgiven that debt. He went out and found somebody that owed him a couple dimes or a couple pennies and started choking the man to death for that debt he owed him. Let me tell you something. There's not a person in this room that has any debt. Any, anybody that's done you wrong hadn't nearly done you wrong the way you did Jesus. And nobody ever wronged you the way that you spat in the face of Jesus Christ with your undone life, just like me. Nobody's ever done me near what I did to Jesus with my wretched life. If I can be forgiven, if He can forgive me, then I ought to forgive others. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Colossians 3 and 13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. See, to remain an unforgiven spirit shows that I haven't come to the full revelation and understanding that I myself am in need of great, great forgiveness. You see, if, I, if I'll hold somebody to something, it shows that I hadn't come to revelation that I myself am a man in need of great forgiveness. Amen. If I'm if I walking holy now, at least at one time, I'm a man that needed great forgiveness. And if I ever fall again, I'm going to need it. I'm going to need it. He taught them to pray that they would not be led into temptation. And lead us not in temptation, he said. And I believe this is an exhortation to pray for humility. Amen. God leading us into a place of testing and proving. 
Amen. That God would deal with us if we become haughty or arrogant. That we would always keep our eyes. Amen. That we are on ourselves apart from Jesus. And always know and come to that knowledge that we have our own frailties and weaknesses. And only by the grace of God, only by the person of Jesus Christ, can we walk in holiness. Now, I believe that's something we ought to pray for is humility and brokenness. And prayer will always produce humility. It's impossible to spend time with Jesus and remain proud. It's impossible to spend time with Jesus Christ and remain proud. Matthew 26 and 41, Jesus said, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Just by praying, by virtue of our prayer, it expresses humility. It, it's a display of an inner attitude of heart that's a, a humble attitude of heart. If we continue to pray, we're going to be humbled. He, th- he taught them to pray for sanctification, for their own sanctification, but deliver us from evil. We should pray that God, through His grace, would fill us with the love of God, that we might fulfill the law of Christ. And we see this prayer that Jesus prayed Himself in John 17. He says, I pray now that thou shouldest take them out of the world, speaking of us the church, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And you know, you talk to people like down at LSU, and they wonder whether you can live holy. Well, Jesus prayed that we would be kept from evil. Is God not going to answer Jesus' prayer? If he prayed, it had to be possible. And if he prayed it, God answered it. That provision is there to keep us from all evil. Psalms 121 and 7, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 3, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. 2 Timothy 4 and 18, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I like what Brother Ravenhill said. He said, a sinning man will stop praying, and a praying man will stop sinning. You hear me? A sinning man, he's going to stop praying, but a praying man's going to stop sinning. Prayer and sinfulness cannot, incompatible. Amen. If you pray, you're going to quit sinning. If you sinning, you're not going to be able to pray till you repent. You can't come before the presence of God. You're going to hide like Adam did. You're going to hide like Adam and did. This is some cleansing and repentance. Jesus taught them the principle of persistence. I, could, I would have thought for sure that I'd preach just an hour today. But anyway, I'm going to finish. Amen. We started off in the beginning. We got three hours. <laughs> Amen. He told us what to say in prayer. Taught us what to say. And now these last three things are attitudes of heart that I believe are essential Necessary for prevailing prayer. He taught them the, pers- the principle of persistence in prayer. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? So go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine is in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is not shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, Because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. That word importunity in the Webster's means pressing solicitation, urgent request, application for a claim or favor, which is urged with troublesome frequency. Men are sometimes overcome by importunity of their wives or children. Makes that analogy. 
But see that urgent request, given with frequency. It's speaking of a persistency. Jesus spoke of this parable in Luke 18, 1 through 8. And trying to encourage us not to be discouraged in our prayer lives. And he spake a parable unto them in this end. That men always ought always to pray and not to faint. Saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God nor regarded man. There was a widow in that city and she came unto him saying avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while but afterward he said it within himself. Though I fear not God nor regard man. Yet because this widow troubleth me. I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Speaking of persistence here. And he would have never, ever spoke this parable if it wasn't going to be an intense warfare in this area to overcome if you're going to continue to pray. More people you talk to, amen, that's the kind of thing that they come with. I don't see God answering my prayer. I don't see, you know, any results. Amen. So they just become weary and they just, you know, give up in their prayer life. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't faint. Don't be weary. But continue and be persistent. Those that have faith in God, they're going to manifest a persistent attitude of heart and prayer. We know Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. If I believe that, then I'm going to be diligent to seek Him because I'm going to believe there's going to be reward for doing so. We must manifest this heart. Attitude that will not be denied. And there's nothing irreverent about being persistent about what God's commanded us. Nothing irreverent about coming before God with a very persistent, dogmatic, tenacious spirit holding on, God, holding on to God that will not be denied. If God's commanded me to be holy, then God's not going to be grieved with me because I cling to Him and ask Him for grace to be holy. If God's asked me to preach the gospel, He's not going to be, you know, grieve with me because I come to Him and cling to Him and ask Him to anoint me for that task. If it's the will of God that men come to repentance, Amen, He said, ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. It's not going to be grieved because I come to Him and cling to Him and persistently night and day cry to Him for souls. Nothing irreverent about that. Numbers 23 and 19 said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken? Shall he not make it good? That's why you need to come with the word of God. The will of God. Ecclesiastes 8 and 4 says, where the word of, the, where the word of a king is, there is power. John 15 and 7 says, if you abide in me, this is Jesus, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. If I'm praying the will of God in the name of Jesus, I should be persistent. And I should come. And the next thing that leads me to that Jesus taught them to pray with an expectancy. Verses 9 through 10. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he, he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened unto him. 
The Greek verbs here in verses 9 through 10, it designates continuous action, a continuous asking, a continuous knocking, a continual persistence, a seeking. Asking implies consciousness of need and the belief that God hears our prayer. Seeking implies earnest petitioning along with obedience to God's will. And knocking implies perseverance in coming to God when He does not respond quickly. And that's a promise. He said, if you seek, you're going to find. You knock, the door is going to be open unto you. You ask and you're going to receive. That's a great promise. I must believe that God hears us. I mean that I, I must believe that God hears me. And he's going to give me those things that are in accordance with his will. Mark 11 and 24 says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. That's not meaning if I want a Learjet. I pray for that, and God's going to give it to me in accordance with his will. We've got to interpret scripture by scripture. There are other conditions in the Bible. As long as it's with the will of God. But as soon as I pray and know that it's in that Bible, that it's the will of God for me, I need to believe that I have it. Psalms 34 and 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. And the last thing, Jesus taught them to have faith in God. Verses 11 through 13 says, If the son, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? Or in another rendition, it says, good things to them that ask him. See, and Jesus is appealing to that natural instinct, that that lowly, that human, you know, uh, humanistic love of the Father. He's appealing to me as a father, knowing that if my children ask of me something reasonable, amen, because of my love for them, I'm going to do everything within my power to grant that request. Is that not so? He's saying, you look at that, and then you look at God the Father, who is infinitely more holy, infinitely more loving than you are, if you will give your children good gifts, if it's a reasonable thing, if I ask something, every request here was a reasonable thing, provision, amen, if I ask that of, 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 of my Father, or my children ask that of me, I'm going to give it to them, how much more will God the Father do that? Romans 8, 31 through 32 says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's already manifested and proved his love to you. And that he died, sent his son. If he spared not his son, what would he withhold from you and I? As long as it's in accordance with his will and his character. God is a giving God. He gave His Son. He's not going to, you know, uh, run in contrast. He's not going to contradict His character. He's not going to give you something that's going to harm you or give you something that would, uh, you know, reflect of His character on holiness or the lack of love. He's not going to do anything in accordance with His will. If He spared not His own Son, what would He withhold from you and I? Amen. Let's stand. And I've, I've challenged you with this before. And I'm, I'm saying as the pastor of this church, you and I are going to have to overcome in this area. We must overcome. We must be men and women who have a prayer life. 
I'm going to make some changes around here pretty soon here. If you're going to come up on this platform, you're going to pray. You're going to understand that. You're going to pray. If you're going to come in this church and minister, you're going to go out here on this street corner and tell people to repent. Amen. Look, if you don't have a victory in your prayer life, what are you doing telling people to repent? You need to repent. Do you understand that? What you can do is get out here and scream and holler and you can't even pray. See, we need to be honest and real with ourselves. The first thing we need to do is understand there is no excuse. There is no excuse. God's given us provision. But you're never going to accomplish the will of God if you don't establish a prayer line. But the Spirit of God's telling us this morning, first of all, make no more excuses. You can pray. And I'll help you to pray. I'll give you what to pray. It's just a matter of setting your will to do the will of God. And if you don't have a heart to do that, then you're not born again. If you don't have a heart to seek God, then you're just not born again. But I challenge you with this, that if you will pray one hour more a day than you're praying right now, and listen to me, you say, oh, an hour a day, that's so... If you've never established your prayer life, I'm saying just make a commitment to start out to be... God wants some consistency. Instead of hit and miss, I pray all night once a month at the church. I divide that, that's seven hours, and we don't really pray for seven hours. But I'm just saying if I divide that by 30 days, I'm praying 15 minutes a day or whatever. You know, you know all that kind of mentality. Put it aside. I'm talking about your personal prayer time that you set aside to pray. I'm not talking about why you're washing dishes. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about the time that you set aside to pray with God. If you will pray uh, and, 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 and be diligent and consistent in that, you will be a different man or woman. You will be a different man or woman. Hallelujah. Father... In Jesus' name, I just ask you to help us, O God. And Lord, deal with us. Help us to overcome in this area. We ask you, Lord, for your mercy and for your grace. We thank you, Lord God, that you're going to help us establish lives of prayer. Father, I just pray you touch every soul in here. Father, you would deal with us in a fresh and a new way. That you would give us grace. That we would not be discouraged. Lord, if we, if we come to a day that we don't pray, Lord, that we not just throw the towel in and not pray the next. But Lord, let us be diligent and persistent to overcome. Let us take this in violence of spirit. Oh God, let us, Lord, stand forth and, and take this ground that you've called us to, Father. And I just ask you, Lord, to produce faith in every soul here. In the name of Jesus, I want you to come to this altar. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help you. Amen. All of us. I'm going to ask God to help me. We all need that every day. If you've got the victory in prayer right now, amen, pray for tomorrow. That God will continue to help you. If, if you've got victory in prayer now, pray for these here. That all of, I want this place to be a place of prayer. Constantly, uh, you and I seeking God to do His will.